Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen. Standing guard to launch the great resistance, the great counter-revolution to the Great Reset. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz. Uh, enthusiastic to be here back for a new week of broadcast. Uh, the Monday, the last day of January. Interesting day, by the way. This was originally going to be the day uh, of the planned D-Day attack. They had to push it off for a couple months. Hopefully, our counterattack will not be delayed. We're all very excited. I don't know what took this long, but after two years, we finally get the impression that things are coming together. The protests throughout the world, but obviously most prominently with the truckers in Canada, finally forcing a resolution, hopefully. A lot more data, truth coming out. To me, I have no doubt that they are in the final throes of at least this genocide. The problem is, that's when they get the most dangerous, the most vicious. And number two, we have to be prepared for the pitfall of them trying to evacuate and make pretend this never happened. And the key is, we cannot walk away from this. As as much as I'd rather get to other issues in general and be done with COVID, be done with COVID fascism, but the damage that has been done to healthcare, to our life, liberty, our property, is not repaired and has not been repaired. They're going to walk away from it, but leaving the precedent intact that they can mask us, vaccinate us anytime. And then all this news we have on the therapeutics they're, they're approving, we have literally become the lab rats for a Pfizer biomedical globe, not just the state. So that cannot go on. We need to marshal this energy into something good. We cannot have it be hijacked by grifters, hijacked by phony Republicans, nor hijacked by Trump himself, by the way. We cannot make the mistakes of the past. Hopefully, this will be the greatest act of resistance since the Boston Tea Party. But we can't allow it to be hijacked, distracted, and eventually diffused like the 2010 Tea Party. Our first sponsor today, Birch Gold. One of the bigger issues taking place now is inflation. It's the highest it's been in our lifetime. And it's definitely here to stay because the government keeps manipulating um, the the inflation. They, they like inflation because the higher uh, the interest on treasury bonds, the less government owes on their mountains of debt. Well, you know what? We need to protect ourselves from this phony monopoly money. Birch Gold is the only company I trust and recommend for precious metals. They'll help you convert an eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by real gold. Uh, a lot of you are doing your taxes this time of year. And if you owe extra money, you know you could just put it in the IRA. 
rather than putting in the stock market casino, put it in gold. Um, Birch Gold has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. If you want to find out more, text Daniel to the number 989898. Get a no-cost, no-obligation info kit uh, teaching you how to protect your savings with gold and silver and how you can buy them under the umbrella of a tax-sheltered account. So do it right now. Text the word Daniel to 989898. That's Daniel 989898. Okay, so, you know, look, like everyone else, I'm tearing up. I am very inspired by what is going on. We always knew it would take something like this. Not some stupid, phony, conservative movement and elitist. I will tell you, I am shocked that this is coming from Canada. This is the last place I would have expected it, but you know what? God bless them. We finally have our moment. We finally have our moment. I was thinking that... We really need our own trucker convoy here to the lead-up of the budget bill. There's a budget deadline, February 18th, okay? Wouldn't it be amazing to have the same type of uh, convoy converging on D.C. in the lead-up to the budget deadline, demanding that the Republicans block and filibuster in the Senate any budget bill that does not fully defund every aspect of COVID fascism. And that, by the way, includes the FAA and TSA mask mandate. Imagine if we did that. Imagine if we harnessed that energy. And by the way, there are definitely convoys that are planning. Um, I do know there is a U.S. Convoy for Freedom Um. U.S. Convoy for Freedom Telegram channel, if you want to join that. Uh, that seems to be the biggest one so far. So this is something hopefully that will occur here. But you know what? We can't have nice things because Republicans won't fight in the budget even when they have the House and the Senate. So certainly when they just have you know, a filibuster-enabling uh, minority, there's no way they're going to hold hold the line. But we should still try and shame them and promise to vote them out if they don't join with us. So this is something I would do. Again, I, I still think the key thing is on a, on a state level for the red states. But the trucker movement shows that the future is not Democrats or Republicans. It's plain ordinary people binding together and rising up. And I think a good example of this is Trump himself. A lot of people were messaging me over the weekend. Well, you know, did you hear Trump's rally? He sounded a better note. He was praising the truckers. He didn't, you know, mention anything about getting the shots. And I'm like, dude, you missed the whole point. His so-called better rhetoric was espoused from a platform in Texas in support of the ultimate rhino, Greg, something that rhymes with Abbott, in Texas. He's undermining our ability to secure the most important victory and the most important election of our lifetime. And it's not the presidential election. That is the gubernatorial primary coming up just in, uh, in, in a month from now, a short month at that, February, in Texas. If we are ever going to have an alternative refuge for freedom, for liberty, 
safety from the biomedical state. It's going to have to be in a state like Texas. Texas is the largest, most important red state. Yet Greg Abbott, to this day, Dr. Henson, who saved hundreds of lives, if not thousands, including many people in this audience, rather than being given a medal at the governor's mansion in Austin by Greg Abbott, he has a blight on his record for not wearing a mask. Pursuant to Greg Abbott's illegal, immoral, inhumane, and illogical mask mandate. Oh, well, he says he got rid of it, but not the punishment that it induced in destroying the career of Patriot doctors. This is in the state of Texas, and Trump came to support this man. You tell me how that's helping. And then Lindsey Graham is out there saying he's going to vote for Biden's black female whatever Supreme Court justice just because she's black and female, of course. But people forget Lindsey Graham is Donald Trump's point man when it comes to endorsements. Somehow he has an open door at Mar-a-Lago. Every time anyone wants to, any rhino wants to get Trump's endorsement, guess what? They call Lindsey Graham. So what I'm trying to say is Trump has not demonstrated one iota that he has learned the lessons of his failures in his first term. Oh, Daniel, no, he's not going to have the problems with personnel and policy like he did last time. Really? I certainly don't see that. And there's another thing that's bothering me, too, that there's this Overton window that keeps moving over. The more radical the blue states get, the more red states are able to move along with that and then be happy with the fact that, well, at least we're not, like, forcing people to show vaccines at restaurants. But every major blue city still in most red states are forcibly masking children. The hospitals are horrible in all 50 states. The biomedical state is evident in all 50 states. So you can't let your red state governor get away with, oh, we already took care of that. You know, um, the Iowa speaker... Pat Grassley, yes, he is the grandson of uh, Senator Chuck Grassley. And yes, he is like him. He was like, yeah, you know, we don't need more COVID legislation. We, we took care of that last term. Let's move on. Really? We now have 17 doctors being threatened with, uh, you know, suspens- suspension of their licenses by the Iowa Medical Board for saving lives in the state of Iowa. We don't need legislation. Are you kidding me? And these heartbreaking stories. Um, There was this woman who put out on Twitter. I don't have the recording in front of me, but a heartbreaking recording of her asking to simply say goodbye to her mother, whose blood pressure was, you know, very close to ending her life, was very low, wanted to say goodbye. They didn't allow her to come in. She recorded the entire conversation. That took place in a Florida hospital. Okay. So let's not kid ourselves. Pfizer is earning $1,000 per second on vaccines. They're being shoved on people in red states almost as badly as blue states. The hospitals are just as bad in the red states as they are in blue states. The doctors are being persecuted in, in the red states just as much as they are in the blue states. The denial of treatment, the denial of science, the denial of humanity. Remdesivir is being you know, administered just as much in those states as... As, as the blue states. So the point is, we cannot be suffice to just say, hey, 
you know, the truckers and, uh, you know, they're going to move away from it. Hopefully within a few weeks, COVID will be over. We'll have a peace dividend headed into the spring. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't shock me at this point if even after a few months, I'm not promising this, but they would get rid of the mask mandate eventually on, on planes. But even then, we c- cannot allow them to walk away from it because the, 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 the news I'm going to provide to you today is going to demonstrate that this is not over even from COVID. The reverberations from the vaccine and the injuries and the shots and the injuries and the, the, the COVID, which was also a bioweapon, and the injuries. And remember, they have more. They're coming up with more. I could tell you they're coming with terrible things, and the trials look horrible on them. The RSV vaccine, Nipa, Zika. Do you think they're not going to release more of this stuff? Of course they will. Now, folks, this is one reason why you have to get yourself prepared um, to deal with COVID. Those of you who can't get a hold of medicines like ivermectin, one place to go is mygotodoc.com. Dr. Syed Haider, who was on the show before, he successfully treated over 4,000 COVID-19 patients with zero deaths using drugs like ivermectin, fluvoxamine. He's treated over 10,000 patients with ivermectin to prevent COVID. So with prophylaxis, um, of only one in 1,000 caught it. And he also helped hundreds prevent and recover from long COVID and vaccine injuries as well. If you go to mygotodoc.com, um, he could solve your problems. You know, right now you have to wait until you get sick before even requesting pres- prescriptions. Then you got to be connected to a doctor. Then you get the pharmacies blocking you. You have to pay a ton of money. At mygotodoc.com, he allows patients to get the medicines before you get sick. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and have said, I really appreciated having this on the shelf from day one. Most local pharmacies refuse to to fill it. So, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of problems. Um, the team at mygotodoc.com found that few found the few places that charge $150 or less for 28 doses of ivermectin shipped straight to your door. So again, visit mygotodoc.com to get your prescriptions now. Also download Dr. Hyder's free COVID care ebook with over-the-counter remedies cuz remember, you want to use a few things. Ivermectin is not the end all. mygotodoc.com. Okay, so we got a lot of news here, tons of tons of news to go through. Um, you know, very simply, no one ever questions, if vaccines remain so highly effective against hospitalizations and death, why do we need bo- boosters? Right, the boosters are not for just, you know, mild illness, right? It never stopped transmission, okay? Why do we need a second booster now? And the answer is, because not only does it stop working, but it eventually goes negative, okay? It eventually goes negative. So with that, I want to start going through some of the news of the day. If you believe that there is a moral justification and necessity to force someone to get a shot in a speculative blood libel supposition that they might be spreading the virus more, then the question is, shouldn't the reality of the vaccinated really spreading the virus at higher rates necessitate and justify an unvaccinated passport? Really? 
should your life be destroyed unless you show proof that you didn't get the shots? Now, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in doing that. But the reality is, as we've said all along, the unvaccinated can never affect the vaccinated. The vaccinated can affect everyone else because they can make broad viral uh, enhancement through ADE, original anthogenic sin. And like we saw with Merrick's chickens, they could actually kill the unvaccinated with a higher viral load, especially during that few-month window that they have a little bit of protection from serious illness. You look at the UK's data that was put out last Thursday. So now, they made it very clear that they're not going to publish the data on the double-vaxxed. And the reason they're not publishing it is because it's so appalling, it's so negative, that it, it, it would expose this entire thing, so they stopped publishing it. It's unbelievable. Anything that's not good to their narrative, even if it's obvious and we'll laugh out of them, they, they have to obfuscate it. I don't blame them. So they only now compare the unvaxxed to the triple-vaxxed head-to-head. But for the first time last week, now the 18 to 29 cohort has gone negative. So every group, every adult group, there's now negative efficacy to the triple-vaxxed. So even that's worn off. But not just worn off, it went negative. The degree of negative efficacy for all the older groups continues to increase in each weekly report. So it demonstrates a trend. Again, you can't look at this as a snapshot. It gets worse and worse and worse. And what we see, interestingly enough, is that since Omicron arrived, in the boosted adults over 50, the infection rates are growing even quicker every week. In cohorts over 40, the infection rate growth increases with the length of time since the cohort became over 50% boosted. Very interesting data point from my buddy Don Walt. And, and again, this is all taken from the UK's weekly vaccine surveillance report. You can download. Um, the latest one covers the last week. Each one covers a four-week window. So the latest one covered the last week in de- December and the first three weeks of January. So it's very, very much up to date. So um, the trend is the elderly are now getting Omicron a lot more, and it's almost all the triple-vaxxed. If you just look at the the, the rates, it's unbelievable. Let's take 40 to 49-year-olds, okay? The the unadjusted vaccination uh, case rate per 100,000 among the unvaxxed is about 2,300, 2,300. For the triple vax, it's 4,500 per 100,000. Unbelievable. And you're seeing similar numbers in the 30s and 50s. How is that not a concern of ADE? Remember, I, I am all in support of something theoretically that defrays symptoms, a certain amount of symptoms, but doesn't stop transmission and getting it and getting symptomatic infection. But microbiology and virology doesn't work that way (laughs) because if it's a weak, half-baked challenge to the virus, it's going to become more virulent around it. So I have an article with all that data out there. Again, South Africa just has a 27% vaccination rate. Israel's on their fourth jab already. And yet Israel's case rate is the highest in the world. South Africa is barely anything. 
Same thing with India, if you compare India to Israel. Israel also has the highest ICU rate it's ever had per 100,000 people. Okay, it makes zero, zero cents. Zero cents. Now, on that note, that we're seeing the unvaccinated countries not have a problem. You know, we always wondered what would have happened had we never had the vaccination. And it sure seemed like it was going to go away. Okay, it sure seemed like it was going to go away. Remember, we had demonstrably more death after the vaccines than before. Okay, I want to get into this NPR, National Palestinian Radio, um, otherwise known as National Public Radio, article in a moment. Um, First, this segment is sponsored by Moink Box. Um, Folks, how would you like free filet mignon shipped right to you in dry ice with your choice of Moink Box meats, fish, and chicken? Um, The reality is that most of the meat you get, meat is very healthy. Meat and chicken, really, that's what we should be eating, uh, as my doctors tell me. But, you know, the cartel, the big food cartel, just like Big Pharma, they junk it up with antibiotics. They junk it up with unnatural uh, garbage that causes who knows what sort of problems, sugar, hormones. Um, Their meat is free of all that junk. It's grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaska salmon. They deliver directly to your door. It's from an eighth-generation American farmer in Missouri, and they make the best bacon ever tasted. Um, Oink, oink, I'm just so happy. I got moinked. I want to get you guys moinked as well. Join the moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash conservative, and, and listeners to this show will get free filet mignon for a year. With that box, that's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash conservative. That's moinkbox.com slash conservative. Okay, so Africa may have reached the pandemic's holy grail. This is an article from NPR. They talk about this guy, Kondawani Jambo. He's an immunologist in Malawi, if I'm pronouncing that right. African country. Um, basically, they they wanted to test how many people truly got the virus because they didn't know. So they did a blood test, and he said, "I was shocked. I was shocked." He says the findings suggest that it has now been months since Malawi entered something akin to what many countries still struggling with massive Omicron waves consider the holy grail, the endemic stage of the pandemic in which the coronavirus becomes a more predictable seasonal bug like the flu or the common cold. In fact, top scientists in Africa say Malawi is just one of the many countries on the continent that appear to have already reached, if not quite indemnicity, at least a substantially less threatening stage, as evidenced by both studies of the population's prior exposure to, uh, to the coronavirus and its experience with the Omicron variant. Before the Omicron wave, Malawi didn't seem to have been hit too hard by COVID-19. Even by July of last year, when Malawi had already gone through several waves of the coronavirus, Jambo says it appeared that only a tiny share of Malawians had been infected, probably less than 10% if we look at the number of individuals that tested positive. The number of people turning up in hospitals was also quite low, even during the peak of each successive COVID-19 wave in Malawi. 
Jambo knew this likely masked what had really been going on. The country's very young. Its median age is around 18. This suggests most infections prior to Omicron's arrival, arrival were probably asymptomatic ones, unlikely to show up in official tallies. So basically, he did, he looked at repository of blood samples that had been collected from Malawians month after month by the National Blood Bank, and they checked how many of these samples had antibodies. They're finding, by the start of Malawi's third COVID-19 wave with the Delta variant last summer, as much as 80% of the population had already been infected with some strain of coronavirus. There was absolutely no way we could have guessed that this thing had spread that much. Similar studies have been done in other African countries, Kenya, Madagascar, South Africa. Practically in every place they've done this, the results are exactly the same. Less than 5% of Malawians have been fully vaccinated. So Jambo says, listen to this, their apparent resistance to severe disease was likely built up as a result of all the prior exposure to earlier variants. We have had the beta variant, we've had the delta variant, and the original, he said. It seems like a combination of those three has been able to neutralize this Omicron variant in terms of severe disease. Okay? So, go read this article in greater detail. Africa Africa may have reached the pandemic's holy grail. This is from NPR. And what that tells you is... Had we just done this normally, not done anything from day one, they wouldn't have. They didn't even notice it. Now, to be clear, they don't have obesity. They're very. It's a very young population, so it's a good population to achieve herd immunity. America would have always done worse. Okay, but the point is, on a relative comparison to these African countries. It always would have been worse in, in, in America. But what's clear to me is, without the vaccine, it would not have continued to go on. We would have reached that herd immunity we all thought we did. The vaccine rolled it back, and Israel is a stark example of this. Europe, America, you're seeing this everywhere. Now again, I'm not going to say we would have been as good as Africa. We would not have been as good as Africa. And and there are a lot of people who do wonder If a lot of these countries, because they do use ivermectin and they do use hydroxychloroquine for malaria, if that plays a role as well. But that's all the more reason what I'm saying is I'm not saying we should have done nothing, meaning not treat it. No, we should have aggressively treated it. Could you imagine if we would have listened to Dr. Zelenko and these people from day one? Jean-Jacques Rajter, pulmonologist in Fort Lauderdale, he was using ivermectin in late March. 2020. Imagine if we would have just done this from day one. We would have never had Delta. We would have never had Omicron. Would have run its course with very minimal deaths. So many more people would be here today. No one wants to talk about Africa. So I'm surprised they put it there. And, you know, it wasn't even a bad article. If you read between the lines, you could tell the truth. They're not exactly going to give it to you. But very, very interesting. But all for what? All for what? All for a lie. So, so sad. 
let's go through some more news of what we did with this vaccine. A new CDC study published on JAMA shows the risk of myocarditis following mRNA COVID vaccination is around 133 times greater than the background risk in the population, and 81.6% of reports of myocarditis and VARIS met the case definition. So they actually looked at them, and we know VARIS is underreported by a factor of who knows what, 40 to 100, but a lot say, well, the ones in there, anyone can fill it out. Well, they were able to verify 82% fit the case definition. 133 times greater. You're taking young hearts and inflaming them for life. There is no clear cure to it. Myocarditis, by the way, was extremely rare. Doctors tell me they like never saw it before, before this. So that's CDC's own study, published in JAMA. Let's see what else we have here in our little uh, stack of stuff here, as Rush would say. So we noticed an interesting phenomenon that several places that have done studies, we saw this in England, we saw this in, uh, you know, uh, Spiro Pantazatos, his, uh, he's from Columbia University, we had him on our show, he did an analysis. You find excess deaths among the unvaccinated during an immediate period of vaccine take-up. Now, I thought originally when I saw that, I, I thought that was Merrick's chickens, okay, right? You know, because they're getting the virus then, and then they hose the unvaccinated with a massive viral load. Now, that could still be happening, but a German study, it's from the Rare Foundation, R-A-I-R Foundation.com. They explored this this puzzling um, phenomenon, and they found the tripling and quadrupling of the death rate actually comes from deaths that occurred among the vax, but they were not past the two-week marker. So think about it. Remember, anyone who's within 14 days of having gotten their first shot, and sometimes some countries counted 21 days, like in Scotland, that's all counted as unvaxxed. So if they died from COVID, that's an unvaxxed COVID death. If they died of anything else, namely one of the hundreds of different types of vaccine injuries, that's also counted as an unvaccinated all-cause mortality death. Just remember that. So even when you look at all-cause mortality statistics, and they don't look very good for the vax, it's worse than that. Because everything within those first two weeks, A, when they're immunosuppressed, so they're more likely to get COVID, and B, that's when you're most likely to have the most lethal reactions, at least, are going to be more immediate. You know, the long-term things are going to be the cancers that come over time, autoimmune diseases. Think about that. That's counted against counted against the unvaccinated. So now now we have another study affirming our hypothesis that a good amount of the perceived benefit from the shots are sha- is because their liabilities are shaved off the vax pile and dumped into the unvax pile. Math always works in both directions at the same time. Let's move on. Indian Express article here. Over 155 people have died due to COVID-19 in Haryana, it's a state in, in uh, um, India, since January 1st. And basically, the initial analysis conducted by the state health department has revealed that out of the fatalities this year, 
the death rate of the vaccinated patients is five times that of the non-vaccinated. Five times higher. Now, you might think, well, Daniel, maybe you know the vaxxed are are five times larger in the population, right? Maybe like it's, I don't know, 85% of the population's vax. No, I have not checked up that state in particular. I could be wrong, but almost every Indian state is well below that, more like 50%, 40%, depending on the area. So we are clearly being lied to. We are clearly being lied to. Next piece of information I want to share with you guys. And this is from, where is this? Um, This is from the Daily Expose in the UK. They put out great data, okay? And they have an article, official data, this is from the UK, their Office of National Statistics, shows children are up to 52 times more likely to die following COVID-19 vaccination than unvaccinated children, and the ONS is trying to hide it. So they have a very detailed piece here going through a lot of different charts. They say that these figures are horrifying. The ONS data shows that between January 1st and October 31st of last year, children aged 10 to 14 were statistically 10 times more likely to die than unvaccinated children. And teenagers aged 15 to 19 were statistically two times more likely to die than unvaccinated teenagers. Again, this is all-cause mortality. But it's the double-vaccinated figures that are truly frightening. The ONS data shows that between, again, January 1st, October 31st of 2021, teenagers aged 15 to 19 were statistically three times more likely to die than unvaxxed teenagers, but children aged 10 to 14 were 52 times more likely to die. Their death rate was 238 per 100,000. The unvaxxed was 4. Point five, So 238 versus 4.5 per 100,000. But these figures are in fact even worse than they first appear, as if they weren't already bad enough. This is because the unvaccinated mortality rate among 10 to 14-year-olds includes children aged 10 and 11 who are not eligible for the vaccination. Whereas the vaccinated mortality rates do not include 10 and 11-year-olds because they were not eligible for vaccination at the time, with the JCVI only recently recommending right, that 5 to 11-year-olds get the shot if they're high risk. Therefore, if the COVID-19 injections were not causing the ultimately the untimely deaths of ch- children, then we would actually expect to see a mortality rate that is lower among the vaccinated population than the mortality rate among the unvaccinated population, not a mortality rate that is similar and certainly not one that is 40, 52 times higher. And again, I would point out that all of those deaths within two weeks are going to, again, be counted among the unvaccinated pile. I also wanted to point out to you guys another thing I missed. We mentioned this before, and a lot of you might have heard it. There's a Kaiser Permanente study uh, from California in their, um, you know, their healthcare system. Okay, this was done by the Division of Epidemiology at uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, in conjunction with... uh, they basically analyzed 52,000 cases of Omicron and and 17,000 of Delta. And, and they, they were trying to show, you might have heard this, this was one of the more cited studies showing a huge, you know, 
decrease in um, per capita hospitalizations, deaths, ventilations, ICU admissions. Um, you know, they found like a 70% reduction in length of stay in the hospital. In other words, just showing that broadly speaking, Omicron really didn't in, uh, infect the lower respiratory and it was much better. I'm a much, uh, not better, but, you know, less uh, pathogenic than Delta. That was the finding that everyone took away from it. But someone pointed out to me, if you look at, on page 18 of that study, okay, so if you want to go here, it is, the title is, a long title, Clinical Outcomes Among Patients Infected with Omicron, SARS-CoV-2 Variant in Southern California. So Google that. If you want to look it up, it's a preprint. It hasn't been uh, published, but it's a preprint. If you go to page 18, table S4, okay, so you see the associated risks of hospitalization with symptomatic infection. And it's very interesting. They have Omicron, and they give you, they give you the, um, the risk factor, the, the, the hazard ratio. It's called the hazard ratio. Okay? And this is very scary. The adjusted, let's use the adjusted for, you know, it's adjusted for all the demographics. The hazard ratio for the unvaxxed is 0.4. The hazard ratio for the double is 0.91, and the hazard ratio for the triple is 0.7. So they're saying, I mean, unless I'm missing something here, they're saying blatantly that they saw a higher hazard ratio, and that, that that's adjusting already for the age-stratified background rate of vaccination relative to the population. And still, there is a more than double the hazard ratio among the double vaxxed and then, you know, slightly less, but almost double the unvaxxed hazard ratio among the triple vaxxed, which again is getting worse by the day. Okay, that was for um, Omicron. Now for Delta, interestingly enough, for Delta, yeah, it was higher in the unvaxxed, but, so this is weird. It was higher than unvaxxed. It was still pretty decent in the double, but actually the triple had the same as the unvaxxed for Delta. So again, my, my, my point is, you put this all together, we really don't know the story. You are being lied to. When you look at the obfuscation and the erasing and the stealing, they're willing to, to kill and maim and lie and cheat and steal in order to get what they want, do you really think for a minute that you could trust the data that's put out? That's what I'm just trying to show you today. Scotland, their latest data from last, as of last Wednesday, the unvaxxed accounted for 13% of COVID deaths last week. 87% were vaxxed. Um, and... Triple vaxxed accounted for 58% of deaths and rising quickly. How does not, that not point to ADE? How does that not point to ADE? So this is what they foisted upon us. Something that likely killed God knows how many people 
By the way, we're going to have more data from the DMED system, from DOD, the myocarditis, these rare disorders that, 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 that were found as well that increased by like a 1,000% over the background five-year average. Insane. Utterly insane, folks. What could we have done? What could we have done? There are so many new studies out on ivermectin recently. All different studies showing it works, but it doesn't matter anymore. Just doesn't matter. There was an article out in Modern Healthcare. It's one of these healthcare journals. The government has spent a billion dollars, a billion dollars in the hospitals on remdesivir. A drug that basically takes out three organs over time, the pancreas, the liver, and the kidneys. No one, no one could look you in the eye and tell you it does anything for COVID. A billion dollars. Could you imagine how many people would be alive if they put that billion dollars the last two years into coming up with the best concoction and best protocols of repurposed drugs that are safe, cheap, decades worth of safety profiles, and just honing in on the right dosage, the right adjuncts. You know, we had to do this all on our own with no money flying blind. Could you imagine how many lives could have been saved? According to a document obtained by Stat News, that's STAT, the Biden administration misallocated $7 billion in congressional earmarked funds designed to help hospitals and they use them to pay off drug manufacturers for the vaccines and, the, and all these therapeutics. In total, it's been $16.7 billion they shipped off to these companies to promote utter garbage. Utter garbage. Last week, as we noted, the FDA announced they're now approving remdesivir to be used for children they're approving it to be used in seniors in certain facilities. But what's interesting is, 18 months later, why is there no oral drug for remdesivir? Because a lot of people think outpatient, oh, it's a drug. No, they're using the same intravenous. Why? There's a reason. I'm just going to tell you there's a reason for it. And that reason ain't good. And I'll just tell you, there's no difference between oral and intravenous remdesivir. And never forget that remdesivir was developed in Ralph Barrick's lab, UNC Chapel Hill. You could look it up. The same lab that applied for the gain-of-function research that perfectly describes the spike protein ACE2 binding of a coronavirus that very likely created and unleashed this virus upon us. It all comes full circle. Then you have Merck's drug. Okay, listen to this. If you look at the printed label on molnipiravir, they're starting to give it to people. Based on animal studies, this is, this is from the FDA. Based on animal studies, molnipiravir may cause fetal harm when administered to pregnant individuals. So they're, tr they're, they're refusing to use, not just refusing to use, but criminalizing doctors for using something that won a Nobel Prize has a safety pro profile of four decades that never caused serious injury of any, any sort. 
70 studies showing it works, reality showing it works. And they traded out for a drug that had negative efficacy in its second half of the trial, could not work beyond 72 hours. And they already know it caused problems. Um, this was a study from actually UNC, University of North Carolina. New York Times reported on this. Suggests that these it causes mutations in host DNA could contribute to the development of cancer or cause birth defects either in a developing fetus or through incorporation to sperm uh, precursor cells. CNBC reported last year that molnupiravir was found to be lethal to embryos in pregnant rats in addition to causing birth defects and reducing fetal body weight. In the dog trials, it also caused birth defects and interfered with bone growth of the young puppies. And yet this is being this was approved. In the, they have a warning for males. While the risk is, is regarded as low, non-clinical studies to fully assess the potential for molnupiravir to affect offspring of treated males have not been completed. Advise sexually active individuals with partners of childbearing potential to use a reliable method of contraception correctly and consistently during treatment and for at least three months after the last dose of molnupiravir. Real nice, real nice. Three months you have to take contraception. This is what they are approving. Those of you who don't believe me on the vaccines, you cannot believe that they would use us like lab rats, knowing that it causes problems, knowing that it doesn't work, knowing that it creates ADE, that they would continue doing this. This stuff on the therapeutics is in plain sight. And then Paxlovid, it's mixed with the AIDS drug Ritonavir, which is contraindicated with 32 entire classes of drugs. Not 32 drugs, 32 classes of drugs that are extremely common for anyone to take, but pretty much so they approved it for like immunocompromised. But all of those people are going to be taking those drugs. It comes with the following FDA warning. First of all, they talk about liver problems. Tell your healthcare provider right away if you have any of these signs and symptoms of liver problems, loss of appetite, yellowing of your skin, the whites of your eyes, dark-colored urine, pale-colored stools, and itchy skin, and stomach area pain. Then they have a warning. They list a bunch of other side effects, altered sense of taste, and then the typical you know, high blood pressure, muscle aches, diarrhea. Then they say, these are not all the possible side effects of Paxlovid. Not many people have taken Paxlovid. Serious and unexpected side effects may happen. Paxlovid is still being studied, so it is possible that all of the risks are not known at this time. And that is being pushed on people. While stuff that is known and has been proven so much, safe so much that it won a Nobel Prize, it's being trashed. How in the world could you defend that juxtaposition? Checkmate. Total checkmate. But it's worse than that. First of all, folks, it's a protease inhibitor. That's a front-end mechanism of action. That can only help at most within 72 hours, but I would argue with something like Omicron that replicates so aggressively, it won't even. Because ivermectin is the best protease inhibitor out there, like I'm going to mention in a minute, and the reality is that it doesn't stop Omicron. Okay, it helps, you know, with symptoms, but it doesn't stop you from, like, getting symptomatic infection like it kind of did with, with the Wuhan strain. So there's no way this thing does. And, and again, most people are not going to be able to get to their doctor, get a prescription for Paxlovid 
within 72 hours. That's when the trial showed it worked. Realistically, it doesn't work that way. Even this audience, you, you know, you guys are more plugged into this than anyone around, and I'm encouraging everyone to jump jump on it as quickly as possible, but a lot of people are going to be left behind just because, you know, especially with Omicron, it's not so clear how quickly it starts. The symptoms are very mild. You're going to get past the 72-hour window very quickly. You need a drug that has a little bit more grace period of efficacy. But in a letter to The Lancet, published by a group of very prestigious British doctors, they warned that, quote, the use of ritonavir, right, that's the AIDS drug that's mixed with Paxlovid, was complicated by high pill burden, poor tolerability, and drug interactions. Specifically, they point to, quote, interactions that might lead to life-threatening adverse events. In those who take statins, steroids, sedative hypnotics, anticoagulants, and anti-rhythmic uh, therapies, many of which are prescribed separately in older populations at the greatest risk of complications from SARS-CoV-2. So in other words, what they're doing is if you take Paxlovid, which can't work outside the 72-hour window and probably doesn't work inside of it either, you can't use statins and steroids and 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 arthritis drugs, which is like colchicine probably hydroxychloroquine, a lot of the arthritis drugs, the autoimmune drugs are showing efficacy against, against COVID. So you can't use steroids, which is the key, and, and statins, a torvastatin, you know, is, is, is one of the drugs that, that, that's used for, for COVID. Um, it's the dumbest thing in the world because even ivermectin, we're saying you need multiple drugs very aggressively to make sure you leave no one behind. So... You're telling me this pipsqueak thing? You're going to trade all of that for this? Again, those are the people you need it for, and they're all, they're on. You can't have a drug for a high risk population. Say, yes, yeah, statins, steroids, arthritis drugs, yeah, you know, anticoagulants. It, it, it's contraindicated with all that. This is right out in the open. Now, there was, there's two important studies that I want to draw your attention to. There's a, a preprint by Japanese and Bangladeshi uh, scientists. They have a computational analysis. So this is a computer model. So important thing is, none of the things they're pushing have ever been studied in a trial for Omicron. Omicron's the dominant thing, and they're saying it's the only thing, even though there's some Delta. That's why they got rid of the, the monoclonals, so people will die. Remdesivir, Monopiravir, Paxlovid and the vaccines have not been studied in a trial for the virus that exists today. That is a fact. It's an unbelievable fact. But there is one computational computer analysis of the Omicron variant that showed that several drugs, including Nirma Trevlier, which is the name for Paxlovid, did show effectiveness and efficacy as an antiviral for Omicron. But that same study, do you know what else it said? Ivermectin showed the best result against Omicron. The increased binding affinity of Paxlovid, Mpro13b, and Lopinavir may indicate their greater drug efficacy against the Omicron variant compared to previous variants. This result is also supported by the recent announcement by Pfizer about their drug Paxlovid being effective against the Omicron variant. However, ivermectin showed the highest binding affinity, meaning it binds to the protease that, you know, like, like a scissors, like picture the scissors cuts the virus into the 
cell. So this would be like putting a piece of tape around the scissors. Showed, Ivermectin showed the highest binding affinity and maybe the most effective drug candidate against the Omicron variant. Now, I know a lot of people have said hydroxy is probably even better for Omicron. They didn't, you know, hydroxy is not a part of this uh, discussion. Do you, do you hear that? The only thing they actually show that it might work is a computer model. And that actually says ivermectin's the best. There's also another study. Reuters was all over Reuters. An in vitro study, the first of its kind. I know, I know it's in vitro. It's not a clinical trial, but we don't have any clinical trials on Omicron yet. In vitro st- trial showed ivermectin worked very, very well as an antiviral. Japanese, it was all over. Reuters originally reported it, and then they had to change the headline because they probably got flack. This happens all the time. It's the funniest thing. Anything positive, they had to update it and like change the language of it. By the way, Reuters is owned by Thomas Reuters, Thompson Reuters, which is owned or majority owned by BlackRock. You know what's also owned by BlackRock? Pfizer. Okay? So, there you go. It's disgusting. It's utterly disgusting what we're seeing. This is all... Here, let me wrap this back into the beginning of the show. This is all going to come out. You can't hide this forever. But my concern is that they're going to try to have life go back to normal. But the problem, as I'm telling you, is it's not back to normal. Because it will always be clear that the next time, and there will be a next time very soon, and it could even be a winter flu season, they will make you wear a mask. They will restrict you. They'll make you get the flu shot. They'll make you get the RSV shot that they're going to come out with. They're going to keep doing this. But more, moreover, beyond even viruses and you know, vaccines. It's the destruction of healthcare and science in America. The destruction of the hospitals, like we're going to have a show on tomorrow with America's frontline nurses. The culture of cruelty. And using us like lab rats. I found now you can't trust any drug that they come out with that doesn't have an established profile. It's unbelievable. This stuff is crazy. It's not like, it's not even like, well, it's presumably fine. The mechanism of action seems to be safe. It's just, you know, we rushed it because the pandemic, so we don't have long-term studies. No, they blatantly say that there's safety signals, reproductive and cancer and mutagenic and uh, contraindicated with everything under the sun, not well-tolerated, mixed with an, you know, not well-tolerated uh, AIDS drug that has a black box warning from the FDA. This is crazy. This is straight up open source. I'm not giving you any privileged information. I have... I have some of that that I can't share with you that blows, it's going to blow Remdesivir wide open. But this is crazy. So we can't let them get away with it. From the great reset to the great resistance. The resistance is great. We need resistance. But eventually we're going to need a revolution and a counterattack. We cannot live with these people. But in order to do that, you need a movement and a party that believes in that. And I think the trucker movement represents that. The same old pseudo-conservative elites have failed us. We need something new. And we need to work on taking 
a few states at a time. That's why the upcoming gubernatorial primaries are more important than speculating about a presidential election for whom that elected president wouldn't even serve for another three years. We cannot wait three years. People are dying. And they will from all this malfeasance. So again, we're just getting warmed up this week. This is the type of information we're going to continue sharing with you. Um, Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, For now, iTunes is not censoring, but as you can tell with with Spotify, and I don't really rely on Spotify much. Most of you guys go to iTunes, um, some Stitcher. Uh, Just know it's always available at Blaze Podcast. So we're an independent platform. If they ever started censoring on all the major um, podcast platforms, Remember, you can always catch us at the the Blaze. But for now, let's get the word out. Give us a five-star rating with a comment on iTunes. Send this information in this show. It could could save someone's life to to every one of your friends and relatives. Till tomorrow, stay safe, stay knowledgeable, stay informed, and stand ready to fight. 